Good morning. Really glad you're here this morning to worship with us. I'm Randy Lanthrop. I'm the senior pastor of Church in the Valley, Diamond Bar, have been for about 25 years. And really glad that you're here for the very beginning of our Alhambra campus. You get in on the first day here. Really glad you're with us. I grew up in Southgate, uh, California, just a couple exits down the 710 that way, so I'm, I'm actually moving closer to home here for this service. It feels very, very homey to me. Really glad to be here. Um, anyway, I grew up in Southgate, went to college in Riverside where I met my wife, Cindy, and we've been married for 33 years. As Ben said, we want to let you get to know us a little bit as we crank up this morning. Um, We've been married for 33 years. We have two kids. We have a son who's uh, 27. He's in Fort Worth. He's in business there. He's married, has one son, another son on the way. So we're, we're pumped about that. We're going to be grandparents again uh, in November. My daughter, Lindsay, is 22. She graduated this year from the University of Oklahoma, and she's moved home. So we're also pumped about that. Uh, she's trying to get a job in education. That's very tough. So we're we're really hoping that happens pretty soon. Uh, but she's doing some work right now temporarily, and she's gonna she's in Fort Worth as well, doing some work there. But she's gonna come home, I'm pretty sure. And uh, looking forward to that. So this is our first monthly service, as Ben said, leading up to the grand opening on February 17th. We've added this service so that we can include more of our family and friends in the life of Church in the Valley. And you can tell we have plenty of room. We've got a lot of room. That's a good thing. I really like this place. And uh, one of our goals at Church in the Valley, the core goal, to know and follow Jesus Christ. That, that's what we're all about. We want to know Him, walk with Him, follow Him, and then help others get to know him for who he really is. A lot of rumors out there, but once you understand who he really is, then I found your pull to, to follow him. So in our monthly services, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the heart of one of his most famous sermons. And we're going to learn what he teaches us about God. And we're going to discover uh, how following Jesus is a real benefit in in our lives and how it's a real blessing to us. So I'm I'm going to start out the sermon. I'm going to walk through the message this morning. I'm going to walk through Jesus' sermon, first part of it, and then Ben is going to walk us through a passage that helps us to apply uh, specifically what Jesus was talking about there. Our message series came from Jesus. This is a quote. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Why worry? That's Jesus. He, he came up with the title for this morning. Um, in the sermon, he gives us good reasons not to worry. Solid reasons. He, 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 he's, he lays it out there. First of all, worry doesn't change anything except our well-being. It's one really good reason not to worry. It, it's, it's completely counterproductive. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? If you tend to worry about dying too soon before your time, does that add any seconds to your life? It doesn't add one second to your life. In another place, Jesus said, if you're short and you want to be taller, does worrying about it add a fraction of an inch to your height? 
No. Worry makes no positive contribution to your life. None at all. In fact, worry causes a great deal of damage to, to our lives. It literally eats us up on the inside. It, it tears us up. And if we don't deal with it effectively, we crumble. Uh, my daughter in her uh, bedroom at home has an antique bed. It's, it's, an, it's really a beautiful, uh, beautiful bed. It was given to me by my, my neighbor whose last name was Randall. My first name was Randall. And then ever since my parents named me Randall and it matched their last name, I was like, great. So that all worked out for me. But anyway, she, when they passed away, they, they gave us this antique bed. It's an incredibly valuable bed. And one time, uh, we were going to move the bed somewhere and I had to take it apart. It's got these rails that sort of fit into slots. And beautiful on the outside, grabbed the rail and it crumbled in my hands. And of course I was thinking, oh no, <laughs> you know. But what had happened is termites had eaten away the inside. So the outside of the rail looked perfect, beautiful. But when I grabbed it, it crumbled. That's exactly what worry does to our insides. It causes trouble inside of us. It eats up our health. High blood pressure, other heart problems, lack of sleep, leads to addictions, depression. It it eats us away inside and creates a real problem. The damage it does spills over into our family life. It it wrecks and hassles our marriages, our relationships with our children. They're strained. When when worry is eating away at us, when it's really tearing us up inside, very difficult to focus at work or to focus on our schoolwork or whatever it is, it's, it's just hard to bring the focus to work that we need to be productive. So Jesus knows all this. He knows how destructive worry is. And so he wants to show us how to deal with the poison of worry. And he gives us a second reason. First reason, why worry? It doesn't accomplish anything. In fact, it tears us up inside. So we need to work to deal with it. Second thing, we are most valuable to God. He runs a comparison between human beings and some other things in uh, his creation that he takes care of. First of all, he says in verse 26, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable, far more valuable to him than they are? What Jesus does here is he peels back the curtain And he gives us a glimpse of the way God looks at us, the way he feels about us, the way he views human beings. Um, Simple logic. If Jesus, if God himself takes care of the birds whom he values and takes care of, how much more is he going to take care of human beings who are number one on his list in all of creation? If God is feeding and taking care of the birds, he'll take care of us. That's his logic. He's comparing the value. I I looked up the most expensive bird that you can buy. Here it is. It's 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 a palm cockatiel. Sixteen thousand dollars to own a palm cockatiel. I I don't want one that bad, personally. Sixteen thousand dollars. People 
however, are priceless to God. He's gone to great lengths to connect with us. You can't put a value on human life. So what Jesus is saying is humans are the most valuable creatures on the planet. And God has given people the number one spot in creation, a tremendous amount of value and dignity. And if you trust God, he will surely meet your needs. So Jesus is leading us there. Second comparison in verses 28 and 30. Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? If, if God cares enough about wildflowers to clothe them in beauty, something that only lasts a few days, how much more is he going to take care of people who last forever? He, he, that makes perfect sense to me. Jesus' logic is impeccable. I have story after story as I've set out to do what God's asked me to do in, in the world and uh, as, as I've lived and trusted Him, story after story of God's provision for my life. One, one of my favorite stories involves a, a bonus provision that God gave. Um, Neil Melinda Walker... Uh, many of you know, started the ministry at University of Southern California, Christian Challenge. Uh, Neil's the director of that ministry. Well, they started their ministry about the same time we started Church in the Valley uh, 25 years ago. And we were attending a conference, which means that somebody paid for us to be able to go to a hotel, which was fantastic because we were very poor. Both, both families were extremely poor. We didn't have a lot of money. And we decided one night that we were going to go to the dollar movie, you know, fit our budget, worked all out, you know. And so we, we left the, the conference hotel to go to this dollar movie. And um, I said, hey, n- neither of us had any cash on us. We didn't have any cash. So I said, hey, let's stop by the ATM. I'll, I'll get some money out and I'll, ta- I'll, I'll take care of it. I was going to cover it, you know. So go to the ATM, put the card in, punch in the number, and no funds available to withdraw. So like, mm, this is embarrassing. We we didn't know Neil Melinda very well at all. So we were I was I was a hey sorry, but I have no money in the bank. They're not going to give me any cash. And uh, Neil says, no problem. <laughs> I, I've got it. No sweat. Puts his ATM in the machine, punches in his number, no funds available. Ah. <laughs> so at least we could be hu- humiliated together, you know. <laughs> and so we turned around to walk away, and there was a $10 bill on the ground. Four tickets to the dollar movie and popcorn and Coke. Remember, this is a long time ago. And for me, that is a story that reminds me that God really cares about me. He's going to take care of us. As we're sitting out to do what He wants us to do, He is going to care about us. Because we are 
more valuable than the birds that he takes care of. You don't see birds just drop in flight because they're hungry. You don't see that. That, that. That's not what happens. He cares about the birds, so how much more is he going to care for us? He, he cares about the wildflowers that are here for a few days. How much more is he going to care about people who last for eternity? So much more. This is what Jesus is telling us. So he goes on. Verse 31 and 32. So do not worry about these things, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows that you need them. Jesus is teaching us to stop worrying because we have a loving Father that we can trust. And there is something important that we see in these verses about God. And the way that he relates to us. He will not force you to follow him. He he will not. He is not going to bully you into doing what he wants you to do. He gives us the freedom of whether or not we're going to obey him. Whether or not we're going to do our own thing or do life his way. And Jesus is saying in this passage here, That worry dominates the thoughts of unbelievers who haven't yet trusted him with their life. And that makes sense because the way God is, if you decide to live life on your own independent of him, he lets you do that. And then you've got to scramble to figure out how you're going to make it all work. So you just can churn inside. When Jesus refers to unbelievers, he's talking about people that God loves, that he loves, who haven't yet decided to live life his way. They're living life their own way, independent of him. And so if that's what you choose, God lets you you go that way. He he lets you uh, disconnect from him or stay disconnected from him. And he leaves us to ourselves to handle life on our own, to scrape and to claw and to worry about our future, how it's all going to come together. This, this is the way it works with God. At Church in the Valley, we want to help you. We want to help people connect with God through Jesus Christ. If you haven't yet decided to follow Christ, here, here are the steps to following him. This is how you connect with God and follow Christ. And if you have questions about these, we'd love to answer your questions. We'd love to help you work through this. We want this to be a very, very safe place to explore what it means to follow Christ. You can ask your questions. You can think it through. We, we really want to, to help with that. But here are the steps. First one, admit that you need God's forgiveness for your sin. First step. Second, believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And then third, commit your life to follow him. And that means the word believe in the second step here, it it means to trust him with your life. As you get into the Bible, you find out that's what that word believe. Believe on Jesus Christ and he'll bring forgiveness to you. It means to completely entrust your life to him and decide to quit going your own way Turn around and go his way. We want to help you do that if you haven't yet do that. So done that. So let us know. Let us know and we'd love to help. There's a place on that connection card that Ben mentioned on the back where you can check. I'd like information about beginning life, uh, beginning a relationship with Christ. We'd, we'd love to help with that. Now, back to Jesus' sermon. I'm going to wrap this up and hand it over to Ben shortly. 
But if you go back to uh, the beginning of Matthew 6, we've been in Matthew 6 in the New Testament. If you go back to the beginning, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer. And what he says is this, since God is a loving father, we've just looked at that, we can take our worries to him in prayer. And then he gives some instruction on prayer. Verse 7 says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is great, great help and instruction. Right here, Jesus is teaching us that uh, it's not our effort in prayer that makes the difference. It, it, God doesn't answer our prayer because we're heaping up phrases and putting a lot of effort and strain into it. God answers our prayer because He loves us. Because the one we're praying to, this is the, the key to the answer, answer to prayer. It's the one we're praying to. It's His love and His power that comes through over and over and over again. Jesus is making a contrast here. Religion is focused on human effort to please God and gain the leverage to get blessing from Him. That's, that's religion. That's not what Christianity is all about. Christianity is focused on a friendship that God allows us to have with a loving Father. Who, who will meet our needs as we trust Him to do so. Jesus tells us that our, our prayers, they don't inform God of anything. He already knows what we need before we ask. It's just that He gets delighted by our asking. It delights Him, just like any dad. This is the core relationship that children have with their father. They ask. And they keep asking. Not a demanding, but a depending. We, we depend on Him. It just, it, it's just an admission of what is really true. We, he gave us life and we depend on Him. We get back into that relationship with Him. Asking, however, is an insult to our human pride. It's a real insult to have to ask. We, we don't necessarily like to do it, but it's at the core of a good relationship between a child and his father. Spurgeon said, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. This is the way it goes. So Jesus goes on and he, he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. No one before Jesus had addressed God this way as, as a loving Father. He's cluing us in to who God is and how He views us. He's letting us know. So this is how we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When my kids, when I answer the phone and someone on the other end says, hey, Dad, how you doing? They get my attention. That's where we start in prayer. We, we, we pray to our Father who loves us, who wants to hear what we have to say. Before his teaching, as I said, nobody used that, that phrase the way he did. Your kingdom come, he goes on, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. He wants us to ask simply for the, the, the daily needs that we have. We're taught to go to God, go to the Father, to, to ask Him to provide for our needs. This is humbling, but it's right. And so that's what Jesus lays out. Jesus says that the core reason not to worry 
is that we have a Father in heaven who loves us. He will meet our needs as we trust Him. We can take our worries to Him in prayer. Now, Ben is going to come up. I'd like to invite Ben up again. And he's going to walk us through a very helpful passage in another later part of the New Testament and show us how to do this. Thank you, sir. Hello again. Hey, did anybody have a busy week? Yeah, there's just a lot on our minds, right? Jesus said that he came to give people the best kind of life, life to the full. And that means, among other things, a life characterized by great joy and great peace, life that's not plagued by worry. And that's what we're talking about today. I've been thinking about worry as a poison lately. The title of the message is The Antidote, so you can see where that's going, right? Um, I've been thinking about it as a poison, and it reminded me of something that happened maybe 25 years ago, back in the day. I used to go to summer camp uh, when I was younger with a bunch of kids from my neighborhood. and We grew up in Chicago, in the inner city, and so riding horses, swimming in lakes, that sort of thing was not what we were doing the rest of the school year, the rest of the year. But I remember one year, uh, maybe I was 13, 14, we went to camp, and it was the last day of camp, and we were just standing around actually waiting for the bus that was going to take us back home. And one of the kids looked over at something and said, look. And he ran over and he picked something up and he held it up for all of us to see. It was a snake and he was holding by the tip of his tail. And we looked at it for a split second hanging there. And then that snake curled up like it was folding itself in half and bit him right where he was holding it. Now, I, I honestly don't remember our exact reaction, but I'm pretty sure that most of us 13, 14-year-old boys laughed. And it, was, it was shocking, right? We just couldn't believe that he'd picked it up and that it had done that and then it had bit him. But it's only funny. We only laughed because we knew, we were pretty sure, that it wasn't poisonous. No poison, no problem, just a funny story, memorable even 25 years later. But what if it had been poisonous? I mean, we'd have been freaking out, right? And when poison gets in us, when enough of it gets in, yeah, as Randy's been describing worry, it attacks at a fundamental level. It keeps our bodies from doing what they were meant to do. Apparently at a molecular level, it's disrupting things. I mean, you might not notice a little bit, but you will notice a lot. It'll be devastating to you. And then there's poisons that build up over time. You don't really realize it. It's chronic poisoning. And then all of a sudden, you're really suffering. And then there's poisons that lie latent. They're in you, and you don't know it yet. And then, bam, terrible damage. I mean, that's like if the boy had gone home fine, and then a month later had died in his sleep. I mean, nobody's, nobody's laughing about that. That's terrible. And so worry, as we were talking about today, really is a poison. It gets in our systems in a fundamental way causes a lot of damage. It keeps us from living the way we are meant to live. We do not experience life to the full with worry in our hearts. And there are so many things to worry about, right? You ever heard this sort of thing? When we come back, a new and frightening trend in potty training, should you be worried? Or the five most deadly germs on your pillowcase. Canada, friendly neighbor or vicious and very patient enemy. (laughs) 
Even if we ignore all entertainment journalism, we do have a lot on our minds, legitimate concerns connected to our responsibilities, our relationships. I made a list of things I was thinking about this week, not because of speaking here today, but just things that had already come to mind. See if you can relate to any of these. These are things that this week I'm thinking about and could easily become worries for me. In my health, my future, my wife and my children. I have an almost four-year-old boy and then a little girl. My other loved ones, my finances, my place in this world, my job, traffic, what people think of me, my to-do list. Does any of that sound familiar? Normal, everyday life in a broken world. Very easy for anxiety to seep in and wreck our peace and our joy, poison at work. But there is an antidote. When we pray to the God who made us and loves us, as Randy described, who has everything under his control, he promises a peace that's beyond our ability to even understand it. Prayer is the antidote for the poison of worry. Prayer is the antidote for the poison of worry. Let's take a look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything. That's easier said than done, right? Half the time, I don't even know for a while that I'm anxious about something, and all of a sudden I realize I've been worrying about something for days or longer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Everything, really? In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I, I don't know about you, but that doesn't come naturally to me, to, to be thankful, to give everything to him. But then it continues, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now that's something I want. To have peace guarding me as I move through life? Sign me up. The Bible's saying here that as we bring our concerns and requests to God, God really does relieve our worry. He's the source of peace and joy, as Randy said. He is the source. Not the people, not the things around us. Anxiety is a poison, but prayer to our loving Heavenly Father is the universal antidote. And the Bible says that we can and we should Pray to God in everything. There's nothing too big, nothing too small to take to God. Now, you might feel this way about some of the people in your life. Your boss, maybe. I really don't want to bother her with that. It's, it's just kind of a small thing. I need to deal with that on my own. Or I don't want to tell him about that because he will be really upset. It's a really big deal. Right? Maybe your parents, maybe your professors. That is not how God is. God is not a human being. We can take everything to him. There's nothing too big, nothing too small. You don't need to worry about that with God. All the things that came to mind this past week, all the things that will come to mind this week, let's hand them over to God in prayer. And let's do it with gratitude. We can choose gratitude, not just experience it. That's what's implied here. We can choose it. I mean, we don't have to just wait for it to come like a cold breeze that comes around once in a while. Ooh, is it chilly in here or was I just feeling grateful? 
That hasn't happened in a while. No, we can choose it. Gratitude is a unique catalyst for experiencing God's peace through prayer. It strengthens our relationship to God. It gives us a clearer perspective on what's happening. And it builds contentment. As we bring anything and everything to God, choosing gratitude, he walks with us through our troubles, our worries, brings his peace. I, I won't get into long stories right now, but in my life personally, in terms of my finances, in terms of personal grief, in terms of wondering about the future, God has been very faithful to give me peace that I can't understand. I'm going to get anxious and get discouraged, even depressed. And then, as I pray, as people pray for me, as God teaches me, his peace comes over and over and over again. The word guard in this passage is like a military guard. So peace is like a citadel or a tower that God is building to protect you. You go inside, you look out the window, there's storms raging. You can tell that if you were out there, you'd be in a lot of trouble. You'd be taking damage. But you're safe, you're warm, you're secure. It's also kind of like a guard standing at the door of that tower. There's one door in. Anxiety comes up. Hey, can I talk to him? I'd just be a few minutes. Or, hey, you know, I'd like to hang out with her for a while. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about her. The guard at the door says, no, you are not welcome here. Big, tough, really cool bouncer. <laughs> Nobody comes in when God's peace stands at the door. The next time you start to worry about something, tell God. God, this project is stressing me out. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Please show me what I need to do and then help me to leave the outcome to you. Or God, this relationship is getting worse and worse. It's eating me up inside. Please help me. God, this lunatic just cut me off in high-speed traffic. Help me to calm down. Or, God, I just realized that I have been worried about my future for months now. Please show me how to move forward, and please give me your peace. There's a verse from Isaiah that connects with what we're looking at in Philippians. I don't think it's in your listening guide, but I think we've got it up here. Check out Isaiah 26.3. This is from the Amplified Bible, which is a Bible that tries to pull out all the meaning packed into those original words in the original Hebrew or Greek Some of that gets lost in translation sometimes. If you speak more than one language, you know it's not always word to word. So anyway, this is is cool. Check this out. Isaiah 26.3, you will guard him. This is Isaiah talking to God about what God does. You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace, whose mind, both its inclination and its character, is stayed on you. That could also be fixed on you, like you're focused on God. Because he commits himself to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. That's what we're doing when we pray. We're staying our minds, fixing our minds on God. And again, remember, that's the source of everything we need. That's the source of peace. It's not our effort. certainly not our cleverness. We fix our minds on God. And then we're committing ourselves to him. We're leaning on him. We're hoping confidently in him.
But what if there's, what if God's not there? For many years, I would hear something like this at church or at a Bible study or something, and I, I would think, okay, I hear you saying that God will answer my prayers, God will give me peace if I ask him for help, but I'm not even sure God exists. I wouldn't say that. I'd keep it to myself, and that's part of the reason I kept thinking it so long. I didn't actually try to get some answers there, but I was there for many years. If that's the case for you right now, try this. Ask God to show you if he's real or not. That's a good prayer. God wants you to seek him, and he wants you to find him. God, are you even there? I heard that you offer peace to those who trust you with their lives. If you were really there, and you could really give perfect peace, then I I want that. But I'm not sure. Please show me if you're real. Maybe you believe in God, but he's just not relevant in your life. He's on a shelf somewhere most of the time when, when you really stop and think about it. I mean, maybe he was relevant at one point, but now life is just crowding in. Your schedule's crowded, your mind, your mental space is crowded, all the things that we think about in everyday life. So maybe the idea of God helping you is true, but not real. In other words, maybe you agree to it mentally, but you are not experiencing it. If that's the case, ask God to show you how he can help you with your real day-to-day experiences of life. Ask him to show you how you can commit to him and lean on him and hope confidently on him. What would that look like, God? Help me to do that. Ask him to make his peace powerfully real to you. Now, talking to God requires faith, and this can be hard, right? Why? Because the things we can see and touch feel much more immediate than God. We get distracted by all the things that bring worry. And not only that, but faith is also hard because... It might require us to change. Doing what God says is the way to show that we really trust him, right? But faith grows over time as we take a small step and we exercise faith. Exercise, exercise is not always fun, right? The rewards don't come right away. My doctor told me that I needed to exercise. That's why I was thinking about my health this past week. So on Monday, I hit the treadmill. I, I didn't really hit it. I sort of just tapped it padded it. But then on Tuesday, I was back, and I padded it again. I was sore. I'm telling you, this was not any kind of serious run, and I was sore Tuesday night. It was pitiful. I mean, I was, I was groaning, like, you know, it, it was just embarrassing. My, my, my little baby daughter looked at me and said, who's the baby now? <laughs> That's not true. She doesn't really talk yet, but... I, I wanted, I thought maybe if my son massaged me, because we like to wrestle, I, I like leaned over so that maybe he'd massage me. It, it didn't work either. He's just kicking me over and over again. It really hurt. And then he like kind of drilled his head into me. What's the point, Montgomery? The point is, it's going to take you more than two days to grow faith. And that's okay. Be encouraged. You take a step, trusting God, figuring out what he's asking you to do right now. Ask him for his help, his peace. And little by little it grows. And again, in my life, when I, when I think about some of the things that have happened, and it really has made all the difference for me. What would it look like if that peace was 
overflowing in your life and in the life of your family and in your neighbor's life? And what if it just kept spreading? Why is that guy, why is that woman have such great perspective on life? And you share and God continues to work. What would that look like? It spread more and more through our community. Every time we gather, we like to talk about what's practical, what's real. And so as we finish up the message, we talk about next steps that we could take. Let's take a look at that. On your connection card is a place you can check these off if you like. You can let us know that you're planning to do that. There may be other next steps that uh, God has brought to mind that you'd like to do. Think about what he's teaching us in our word and then make it practical. So the first one we can do this week, you could take your number one worry to God this week in prayer. I'm going to have the band come up as we get ready. Every day this week, what is it that's grinding you down? A relationship, a situation at work or at school, your finances. And just every day this week, ask God to help you. Ask him for his wisdom and ask him for his peace. Another next step you could take today is perhaps for the first time ever, you're ready to give your life to Jesus, to accept him as your savior and follow him as your Lord, as your boss. He will not disappoint you. And as Randy said earlier, we want this to be a very safe place to explore that. If you're ready to do that today, you can check that off. It'll make all the difference as you move through life. Another next step would be to sign up for one of our growth groups. Again, this is a big part of how we do church at Church in the Valley. Connect with people, grow together, learn about God together, have fun together. Again, these groups are launching this week. We would love to see you there. You can fill that out as well. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand it back to the band. God, thank you so much again for the peace that you promise us. Please show us how real you are, how relevant you are to every part of our lives. Please help us to trust you and to experience life to the full. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.